Wonderful. Good afternoon. Um, good evening for some of us. Um, my name is uh, Christoph Glaser. I'm the CEO of the Telex Institute, and it's my real great pleasure and privilege to welcome you uh, to this podcast, Learning from Leaders. And Learning from Leaders um, indicates we have a great leader with us here today, uh, Andrea. Uh, Andrea, it's, it's wonderful uh, that you were able to take time. I know you're super busy. Um, welcome, welcome to this uh, podcast. Thank you, Christoph. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And really, uh, Andrea, I think um, uh, for many, uh, you are a person which does not need uh, any introductions, but for, for others, let me, let me try to do justice <laughs> to, to your great achievements. So I understand you have graduated with a master's degree in linguistics or geology um, uh, uh, and uh, uh, psychology and business administra administration from the University of Passau. You then uh, started your illustrious career back in 1999. Um, uh, exactly. <laughs> and you look so young. Uh, yes, thank you. Yes. And uh, from 2001 to 2007, um, you worked at GE uh, with global responsibilities. You then moved to a very uh, interesting, obviously, organization, Amazon, where at the end you were, I understand, responsible. You were the global head of HR for expansion, mergers, and acquisition. And then recently, in 2019, you joined Metro, very well known in Germany and around the globe, an organization with almost 100,000 employees, um, being uh, an executive board member, acting as chief human resource manager, and the first woman um, in the global executive board, which is truly uh, remarkable. And uh, I understand uh, that uh, in view of changes in the management, you have ex decided not to extend the contact and maybe you will tell us a little bit more about uh, your near future today. I think most importantly, you're also a mother of two kids uh, uh, and you found time to raise a family. How incredible is that? Happy that you found time to be here. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. And thanks for the nice summary. Yeah. So my, my, my fake uh, of... Uh, always saying I'm 25, that house of cards has now crashed uh, with you <laughs> describing my career. Thank you for this, Christoph. <laughs> yes. That is, yes. Um, now, today we want to talk about transforming global organizations and you have um, shaped the transformation of, we heard it, three major global organizations. But I think in these couple of, well, years um, um, have for all of us been a time of transform personal transformation, right? There, there was no going around. So actually, I would like to ask, how are you doing in these crazy, in these challenging times? What is it doing to you uh, that on the top of everything now there's war in the Ukraine and how are you coping with it? Yeah, uh, thank you, Christoph. Like with every uh, human being, I think the last two and a half years have been extremely challenging for all of us. And uh, whether you are managing a large group of people or you are doing your best as a team member or you're managing your family and the craziness around you, I think we're all having this feeling of exhaustion and uh, the need to focus sometimes, uh, ruthlessly prioritizing in order to make sure that we have um, the focus that we need. And uh, although this pandemic kind of becomes normal, it feels more normal and less threatening, I think we still pay um, 
we still pay a certain price for this in a way that we shouldn't underestimate. And I think that's uh, something where you always have to listen to yourself again and say, okay, what can I do to stay focused, to stay uh, focused on the right things while still being healthy and doing the right things for your team? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that ability to really stay focused as stress many a times has to do with our mind racing really everywhere, right? What yeah. has happened in the past? What do I need to do tomorrow? Or even um, juggling with so many uh, balls at the same at the same time. You know, I, uh, this afternoon uh, when preparing, uh, I uh, engaged in a little exercise. So I asked myself, what would be the, the main attributes which come to my mind when thinking about you having had the chance to interact over the last couple of years? And here they are, <laughs> Andrea. Okay, uh, should I write them down? <laughs> <laughs> so I noted down, noted down radiating, really. Uh, I mm. think uh, there's, a, there's a certain sense of energy around you, confidence, strength, and also expertise. Um, and I was wondering, and it maybe it will be interesting for others as we want to learn from you as a leader, um, like how do you find your or maintain your inspiration? I understand when you started 1999, uh, that came easily. There was, there was that inspiration within you, but then so much, typically with great work, more responsibility comes, right? And when more responsibility comes, sometimes we can really suddenly uh, lose that inspiration, right? Yeah. You had these moments, but like, how, how did you manage to kind of reconnect to that source over these couple of years? I think this has been transforming over the years. Yeah. Um, I think I had the, the privilege of working with a number of really inspiring leaders yeah. um, who have been role modeling and really leading by example for me in so many ways and sharing their wisdom, um, but always encouraging me to really listen to my own beliefs and really having my own opinion and doing what does not only sound right, but also feels right. So I think always going back to this inner, uh, inner fights that we sometimes have, and they encourage me to do so. And I think in certain times, I really had to discipline myself and seek inspiration. I did not always find this in my jobs, yeah. um, but also outside um, with my family or with friends or really seeking inspiration through books, through new thoughts that came out, uh, all those kinds of things. And one of my um, great passions has always been connecting topics that do not necessarily get connected easily. Mm. Um, so I studied French linguistics, social studies, psychology, and economics. And people would say, why on earth did you do this wild combination? And for me, it was a perfect fit because all four of them are intertwined. And that makes this picture so much bigger to me that I always try to connect the dots between the different things that happen around me or people I talk to. Um, and so far, this has been also building inspirational thoughts for me. Yeah, yeah. So these opposites or these different domains kind of then unleashing these creative uh, potentials in you. Yeah. And I have come to understand that you're a great systems thinker. I think you're a person who connects 
the dots uh, indeed. And I think that was very much needed over the last couple of weeks and months at Metro. Um, uh, and, and I think it will be interesting for many of us, definitely for me to understand a little bit you know, what's happening at the pulse of a global organization which has a business in the Ukraine, obviously a major business in Russia, has mm -hmm. 97,000 employees. Um, how, what's going on really for the people in the organization and what have you been able to do uh, to help people in this, in this difficult situation to keep balance, hope, resilience and what was not possible? I'm, I'm sure we would hope to do so many things and well, yeah. uh, life is as it is. So maybe if you can let us know a little bit what's going on uh, for the people. Obviously, for us, the main focus is to support our, um, our colleagues in Ukraine through this war, through this catastrophe that is happening. We have done everything that was within our power to um, keep them safe, to evacuate them from places where they were not safe anymore, to give them what they needed um, as necessary food and uh, supplies and everything that was possible. Also um, transporting in total 400 tons of food to the Ukraine altogether to make sure not our, only our people are safe, but obviously our stores can still be open yeah. to support the Ukrainians uh, in the basic needs that they have. So this was first and foremost, the highest priority for us. And we, as an HR team, we have been net networking 24 hours after the attack to say, how can we make sure that our people, if they wanna leave the country, that we take them by the hand from that first step that they take out of their basically homes through their destination that they need to land and we took care of them. Um, the other element is also making sure that we um, we treat our Russian colleagues with respect because this is still a very emotional situation. And I know that we are always in this conflict and a lot of companies have been pulling out of Russia. Yeah. We believe with... Um, 10,000 people in Russia, we also have a responsibility for them. And while this is always a situation where you have to balance, um, we feel we take responsibility as a group all together. And um, we need to make sure that everyone is safe, has a job and is able to um, continue uh, in uh, in our family as a valuable member. And uh, that is not necessarily always a popular decision, but something that as a leader also uh, makes you um, think about this really, really hard. And we as a team, obviously, we have been discussing this as um, the executive board daily um, say we still wholeheartedly believe that it's the right decision for now. Yeah. Nobody knows what will happen, um, but it is something that you need to monitor uh, regularly. But we take, we take our responsibility very, very serious, and we want to make sure that everyone gets through this war that hopefully ends like now, um, that we can all stop and rebuild 
what was destroyed. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, such a tough call, right? Um, and there's that saying that leadership starts where our knowledge ends, right? Everything else is execution, is management. And I really also felt that, uh, of course, being responsible uh, for much smaller organizations, our, our organization, our TLEX team, we have about 200 people, uh, trainers around the world. We have trainers in the Ukraine. We have trainers in Russia. And so, mm-hmm. when we, you know, when we coalesced as a team, uh, team members would say, "What do we do?" Uh, Christoph, I got also called. So we need to do something. But really, I felt that helplessness of of of, of not knowing <laughs> what to do. I mean, how to influence. We decided to support the activities of the International Association for Human Values, which is doing great work, um, which has been able to help uh, bring people also out of the country when needed. Um, but I would be interested, what was that situation for you as a board? I mean, here you have the responsibility for 97,000 people and leadership starts where the knowledge ends. Probably, like, can you let us know how, what was the decision-taking process and what, how did you deal with the pressure personally and as a team? What was going on? Well, I think you analyze the situation on a daily basis, you get updates, you speak to the leaders in the respective countries that especially our Ukrainian leader who is like an amazing, strong lady um, with her team to make sure that we know um, every single day, every minute what is happening and what else we can do. We need to reconcile like every minute. And so we sat together every day and talked about what have we learned today? And is the decision still the right decision for us? And um, you cannot have all the answers to the questions that there are, right? We're all human beings. And I think it would be very sad if we would, um, if we would act like machines, because we're not. Right. I think we all, um, it's an emotionally exhausting situation for each and everyone. Um, and we all feel very, very connected to, um, to our people, but we need to make sure for the sake of the, of the group all together um, that we give everyone the chance. Um, and uh, we feel that this is currently the right one. And obviously, so far, the, uh, the situation was that um, we were able to keep as many people safe as possible. Um, but if we feel the situation changes, we need to reconvene as quickly as possible to say, now the situation has changed, right? I think that's what we owe each other, but also to everyone within the group um, that we say, that's the decision for now. But fortunately, we cannot predict the future. If we would have known what is happening, I think we could have prevented potentially something in the crisis, but we're we're all human beings. And I think in this way, what is important also in this way is to allow your teams to see that you are a human being, that you are, you yourself, um, you don't make that decision lightly, you know? It's something, I was talking to, um, I was talking in an uh, in an all hands meeting 
um, and saying in a crisis situation, we would all we would always prefer to have a black and white. But a crisis situation typically does not allow you to make an easy black or white decision. Mm. And that's probably where you talk, their leadership comes in. There is this gray zone that you have to go through very, very diligently and then decide um, what's the best decision for now. Um, I was talking about this focus, this tunnel vision sometimes that you have to go through, despite the craziness around you, we get very challenging messages, um, us as, as individuals, but the, the backbone is something that is strengthened in those times where you say, I still believe it's the right thing to do for us as a team. We made this decision for now. And authenticity is the main point yeah. in, in that way, in the leadership, because I truly believe it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I still, I am vulnerable. I'm a human being. I have emotions. And this is a situation I never dealt with before. Yeah. Right. Like most of us did not. And the same was true for COVID. It's okay then to say, I don't know. I don't have all the answers because I have never been going through a crisis like this. Yeah. Yeah. And we learn together as we go. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what I found remarkable, uh, really uh, getting to know you, that you have been the first female board member in the history of Metro. And uh, I mean, while there's so much talk about gender equality and inclusion, I think the typical DAX uh, board member today is still male in the mid-50s, German origin and married. Um, and if we look at the global conflicts today, I think we, can, we could say that uh, male leadership is not always uh, the solution, right? So um, what would you say out of your personal experience, having been in these boardrooms, why is there still so few women in leadership roles? And what did it take you to get there? It just happened naturally? Or was there something you learned along the way which, which, which helped you? Um, it's probably I never thought about it before I took the role. Okay, yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, I know the topic of diversity and inclusion um, because of my job. But I, to, to me, this female thing, if I may say it like this, was a, a new topic uh, yeah. for me when I joined. And um, I only realized it when talking to female colleagues that um, it's a it's a very unusual picture for them, yeah. right? Um, but I think um, as with every new team member, you have to you have to come together as a team and find ways of working. And um, my perspective was probably a little bit different than some of my colleagues, but that would have been the same if like, I would have been the guy, the new guy coming in. Um, but for certain topics, I have to say, especially in crisis situations, I think having a more diverse team is extremely helpful because you are in an extreme situation and you have to, there's not enough time for politics or, you know, you just have to focus on the things that you do. And 
um, there is no time for acting. And in that time, nobody would make the exercise of taking a different perspective, right? There's no time for playing. So I think coming together and having a more diverse perspective, especially with, I know it's cliche, but a little bit more with an empathetic perspective on situations and on teams, how they live through crisis is extremely helpful. And um, a different way of communicating. Hmm. I think women have a different way of communicating. Um, and it's not better or worse, it's just different. Yeah. And um, that's to me the point where I say, it's unfortunate that it's still worth a headline in a newspaper. But maybe in a couple of years, it's, it's normal. And then that's wonderful. And now we can broaden our perspective on diversity and inclusion to um, something beyond gender, because gender is just a very obvious one, yeah. you know, and so many, many more aspects of diversity, being sexual orientation, all the things that we know, but also, um, um, people of all abilities is obviously an important topic, and especially for me, where you say, I want to see people of all abilities in those teams, yeah. because then the team can make the best decisions. Yeah, right? yeah absolutely. And I mean, today, it, it, it's all about agility, it's about transformation and uh, when it comes to collaborative leadership, there is actually quite a number of interesting pieces of research which would suggest uh, that female leaders are significantly better in um, kind of unleashing the potential, uh, tapping into the collective wisdom. And that's definitely what we need today. And you have been at the pulse um, of successful transformations, right? Today we know there are discussions that in another 10 years, 30 to 40 percent of today's businesses will not exist anymore. Mm -hmm. um, if they don't transform in the speed and direction required. And um, so everybody talks agility, everybody talks transformation. We also know with Peter Trucker that the best strategy can be eaten uh, by the culture for breakfast. So it needs more than just that. Um, if you look at what worked well at GE and obviously Amazon, who is literally shaping the transformation also, um, or now Metro, could you let us in on what you think are a couple of recipes or uh, important strategies to actually be able to shape that transformation and not getting stuck in a mindset yes. which is so difficult to change. Yes, I love to hear that. Yes. <laughs> I think the magical word is ownership. Okay. If you have a culture of ownership, things will move so much smoother in everything you do. Yeah. And if you feel in your organization the element of ownership is lacking, individual ownership is lacking, which can come through some toxic developments, through teams who feel it doesn't matter when they contribute with their own ideas or their own entrepreneurial thinking, and then they give up in a way, that's a warning signal, right? Yeah. And so that will automatically slow transformation and change um, down in a way and uh, 
to, to counter with uh, a quote from Jack Welch from GE, he yes. said, change before you have to. Yes. Mm. So that means the whole transformation efforts that you see in most companies are the result of a change that didn't happen when you initially had to do it. Mm. And that means the transformation is also a catch-up activity which is even more exhausting. So if you could get ahead of this and say, don't call it transformation because that's a, a reactive thing. Mm -hmm. There must be a word some, at some point for a proactive transformation, which is probably growth or innovation. I don't know. That's something that we should focus on because transformation is now a loaded word yeah. that everybody hates. And that's so powerful what you're saying. So that uh, transformation then as something which potentially could be driven outside in, right? There's that pressure, almost that fear. Then it's that playing not to lose versus really playing to win or um, having that uh, almost joy of creating, right? Yes. Um, but how do you do that? I mean, um, the, the problem seems to be that uh, for us humans, right? When there's a lot of fear, um, then we start to play not to lose. When there's a lot of fear, then we start our turf fights. When there's a lot of fear, we lose our, let's say, playfulness and, and tighten up. And then it's so difficult to be innovative. So how, yeah. how is that happening in, in an organization like Amazon? What was the recipe, your success, you experienced there? So um, at Amazon, we always try to be pioneers. We try to do things that nobody did before us. And um, we had different mechanisms in place. And one of the, um, or two of the company values uh, were heading in that direction. One was um, innovate and simplify, which at some point was transferred into invent and simplify because innovation was not a strong enough word anymore. Invention was the word. And the other one was think big. Hmm. And um, we were always encouraged to write down our ideas in a very specific format that everybody knows now, uh, who has been um, thinking about Amazon in a way that we always wrote narratives, so-called press releases. And we wrote, we wrote it down as if this innovation would be launched now. And in that way, you can say, when you can feel it, when you can write it down, it will happen. And so you had at the end of my time, at least 850,000 inventors in your company who were producing a lot of inventions, ideas, thinking bigger and broader than what they currently did. And that was recognized and showcased in so many ways that um, I think this spirit is, is very powerful that you don't have to get into a transformation mode at some point. Yeah. Right. So then it seems to be almost natural when, when that's such a smart, such a smart way of doing it. It seems that then these visions were emotionally relevant, right. For the people who thought of them, not just, something I have to do and tick off the list, but it was emotionally relevant. And then ownership 
seems to be almost a natural result. You talked about the importance of ownership. Yeah, yeah and also in that way, speaking of ownership, if you had this great idea hmm. and if you felt you can do it, you were empowered to build your team around this idea okay. and lead it and see what happens. If it was funded, that was wonderful. You could dream bigger and go for it. That's great. So I can imagine in many team meetings, people wrote the headlines <laughs> yes. of the future and connected emotionally to it. Great process. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Now I can literally feel when you talk about that, I can feel your energy, your passion, uh, your conviction also that this is possible. Um, yes. And actually, I wanted to kind of ask you now when when you power the whole time when you when you when you have to juggle with so many responsibilities um you have to kind of balance work and life uh maybe if you would like to share your secrets there i know that your family life is very important to you but mm -hmm. i also believe you practice mindfulness or you have practiced mindfulness so what, what are these aspects playing a role for you to <laughs> to keep up the energy yeah yeah, I mean, I'm in a very lucky situation that my my wonderful husband is um, taking great care of all of us at home. So uh, I have two sons and a big dog. And so um, those boys all need to be taken care of, and including myself. And um, I think um, having a life partner like him, who also has this reverse discrimination if i may say it right because we have been our world is a little bit upside down for normal european terms um and but that's the unifying thing for us that we are a great team and he is he's my best coach right he's coaching me in the background we talk things through he tells me how um how men think about certain things when I, as a woman, just don't understand it, and uh, so vice versa. I think he's he's doing a great job, and also on top of this, uh, one of my sons, he he's autistic, so there is an additional challenge where we probably need to have a little bit more flexibility in this uh, way, and uh, so we, um, I think we manage this uh, really well together. Um, I take the freedom also to uh, clearly explain when I need some time for the family and for the kids. And uh, I, I insist that I bring my kids to bed um, and uh, I drop them off at school. So that's to me, there's certain rules that we have. Uh, and obviously taking good care of yourself and your personal well-being is probably the biggest challenge yeah. because you're always on the wrong side of life, it feels like, right? Because if you take care of yourself, you feel guilty as a mom and a wife. Yeah. If, and you're not doing anything for your job, right? If you're doing too much for your job, then your family could suffer and you are very, very, uh, very much in the back of the, of the priority list. So it's, it's always a challenge like for everyone. Um, I try and exercise. We have a dog that I could walk uh, if I find the time to do so. But um, it is uh, it is tough. It yeah. is tough. Hmm. 
And um, also there, I have not found this golden recipe. I exercise as much as I can. And I did a lot of yoga in my old job, which was not possible with this one. Okay, yeah. Um, but um, it it's a lot of discipline. Yeah, yeah. It's a discipline and as you say also, it's a question, is it okay to do so, right? Uh, um, and sometimes what helps me is that image of, 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 of the airplane, right? When, when we take off and the steward or stewardess explains us, hey, in, in case of emergency, put on the oxygen mask first yourself, only then we can help. Yeah. Um, is it okay to put on the oxygen mask? Yeah, probably it's needed, right? Um, Absolutely, and I think I use this, <clears throat> I use this sentence typically in a transformation situation with leaders where I say in a transformation case, kind of emergency case, you have to put on your oxygen mask first before you explain to others what this transformation is about. And um, that's, you can apply this to all different kinds of, you know, life situations in a way. It's, but it's not in our, it's not in our DNA to think about us first necessarily. Um, especially as leaders, rightfully so, we care about others, but we also then underestimate the, the ripple effect, the unconscious ripple effect that not putting well-being for us first has Absolutely. on our teams. Absolutely. And that is far more dangerous because it's happening on a subconscious level. Yeah. Yeah. And so you have been practicing yoga, you shared, uh, maybe not enough, I understand, <laughs> the last no. couple weeks, but what has it done to you, yoga, breathing techniques, maybe if you can share for the audience, uh, when you did it, what did it do to you? Well, it was like an hour of uh, vacation. Mm. Yeah. You feel that you have more oxygen in your body, you feel that there, your, your tension in your body is in the right places and not where it's only stress, uh, um, stress um, inflicted. Um, it also gives you the opportunity to just be here and there. Yeah. Normally, your thoughts wander off in all different kinds of directions and there you are fully focused, again, focus again, um, on yourself. And I needed this escape yeah. to not think of anything else. And it was the best thing that could happen to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm still mad at myself, how I could allow myself not to practice it in the last two and a half years. Yeah, 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 I can see that. And that's the dilemma I think we all know in, in those times when we need it most, it's most difficult to do something which is good for us, right? Many yeah. times. Yet yeah. exactly when everything goes wrong, all we have is this very moment, this very, very moment. Um, and it's great to connect with you this very moment. I wanted to ask <laughs> two concluding questions. One is, if you would let us in, what was your biggest or one of the biggest failures? I'm asking that because... Um, there's so much reason to look up to you and uh, everybody knows about their own uh, moments uh, where we fail, where we stumble, where we fall down. And um, 
I mean, my father always taught me that's fine, but we need to get up. And sometimes it's it's nice and encouraging uh, to understand what helped you to get up and what was maybe a challenging situation, if you would like to let us in. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. And um, failure is a big word in this way. I think it was a big challenge for me. Um, for those who know me a little bit also know my, my story as someone who... I, I think I used to be a workaholic in my early days. I loved working and I still do, but I was crazy about work. And um, that was all going really, really well. And then I had babies. And then there's a new chapter starting in your life where you feel um, it's more difficult to control. And I previously had learned that the harder I work, the more I have things under control. Yeah. But then with kids, as we know, who have kids, it's not possible. And especially with my older son, as I said, he's autistic. I think that was a very different approach. And it was very challenging for the first couple of years because um, he was hard to read and his, his reactions to certain things were very, very challenging. And he saw the world and he explained the world in different words. So if I bring the example, he used to describe tastes and smells in colors. Yeah. He didn't say, oh, that smells acid. He said, oh, that smells dark purple. Wow. And I was, I was upset because I said, why on earth do you need to use different words than everybody else, right? It was just one example. And at some point, I was so desperate. I was really depressed to say, I think I fail as a mom because there is nothing I can do. Yeah. Where for me, there was no choice but to consciously decide I have to let go. If I'm not letting go, it will drive all of us into something very dark. And... And then when I started accepting it and letting go, and I tried to put myself into his shoes, my world opened up in so many different dimensions where we talked about diversity before. Now I know what diversity is. Mm -hmm. I know what neurodiversity is. Yeah. And so there is more to this world that we can describe in our current words. Mm. And other people know already a lot more. And that has helped me, I think, as a mom to be better because we have a better relationship, but also as a leader, yeah. being more flexible to put myself into the shoes of others, but also being more fearless because I have been down, down in the very, very dark rooms. Yeah. And so that has helped me to also be more authentic and not shying away from saying who I really am and the bad experience that we all have to go through, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I can feel that the power of letting go and then that fearlessness, which helped you to be yourself and you spoke about authenticity and I can really sense that from you. Well, thank you so much for that. And I was thinking, you know, we started with that idea that you, um, uh, I don't know, you have the energy of a 25 year old, we were joking. Um, I <laughs> I am 25. <laughs> you are obviously 25. So um, what would be maybe your one or two advices to people uh, who would like to further evolve uh, in their professional career 
from now your your, your long careers in these uh, elite circles? What would be yeah. your most important learning you would like to share? I think um, one one thing would be for me to recommend um, remain open to whatever is coming your way. I think the, the biggest treasure that we have in life is options. Life gives us options. But if we're not open anymore to seeing these options, we might miss out on a few yeah. that would have been great. Mm. And really, if we then feel not only our brain tells us this is a great option, but also our heart and guts tell us it's a great opportunity. Go for it. The worst thing that can happen is that you go back to the old situation that you were in before. And that was already a situation that was okay for you. Yeah. And so speaking of change and transformation, it's a positive thing if you see it as an opportunity and a chance for you to learn more about this world and yourself. Great. Thank you. So, so trust your guts, right? Trust your intuition and, and yes. go for it. Well, what a great, what a great uh, uh, advice. What a great sharing. And, and I can feel that uh, energy and that strength uh, in you. Um, that's inspiring. Thank you so much, Andrea, for um, spending uh, this time with us here. Um, thank you to all the audience from around the world. Um, on behalf of the World Forum for Ethics and Business and the TLEX Institute, um, it was great uh, talking to you. Um, and it's Thank great you. to have you here in the podcast, Learning from Leaders. To all of you out there, um, all the best, stay healthy in these difficult times. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you. Thanks, Christoph. Thanks, everyone.